Welcome to Sabres Scoop, presented by the Hockey Riders, a once-a-week show covering all things Buffalo Sabres and NHL hockey. We thank you for joining us today, and to make sure you don't miss any future episodes, be sure to subscribe to and like the show on YouTube, follow and share us on Facebook, and catch the great hockey content on thehockeywriters.com. And on our Twitter feed, you can follow us at SabresScoopTHW and everything else at the Hockey Rider. And this is new stuff uh, that we're talking about talked about a little bit last week make sure you head over to morningskate.io that's our new morning skate newsletter so make sure that you don't miss any of the latest and weirdest hockey news every day jordan i'm going to call on you here to introduce the small panel that we have put together so take it away yes of course brandon our guests today are josh kim and andrew mulville who cover the winnipeg jets and the tampa bay lightning respectively for the hockey Raiders. So we have assembled a panel today to cover the playoffs and what is happening around the league because, well, there isn't much Sabres news to cover, as you guys may have noticed, but there is actually a tiny bit. So let's dive into that first. I do want to say, though, it must be fun, really, to watch playoff games for you guys, eh? Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty fun. I mean, you know, it's really exciting stuff. And anytime the season can get extended into the summer, it's, it's quite nice and the excitement and the physicality and the intensity is always there. So it's definitely a good time of the year for sure. If you're a playoff team, that is. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. It's, it's just a straight depressing in Buffalo right now. But over in, in Tampa, Toronto, and, and Winnipeg, we are we are cruising. Yeah. Oh, trust me. I can tell based off uh, seeing everything just across social media. It's definitely fun for you guys. But there was at least some good news surrounding the Buffalo Sabres. So let's get into it. First up, Derek Roy has announced his retirement from professional hockey. Now, so he played 738 games across 11 seasons and 549 as a Sabre. This guy will always be remembered for his play with the Sabres. And this quote is very quite telling, you know, like he said in his, uh, on his Instagram post regarding his retirement, I would like to thank the Buffalo Sabres for taking a chance on the five foot nine kid from Clarence Rockland, Ontario, you know, and just a few uh, cool statistics. He ranks among the top 16 players in Sabres history and career goals, assists and points. And just a great player that left a great mark on this franchise. And I just wanted to give him a shout out and Brandon, let's get into it because we have more news to discuss regarding the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, yeah, I'll get into that first. But, you know, Derek Roy, um, that's good. You know, congratulations on a great career. That was – he was sort of one of the last holdouts of the last great Sabres team, you know, 06, 07. And so he was kind of one of the last remaining pieces of that. And so he's a very well-liked player in Buffalo. And, you know, all the best to him. But, uh, you know, last week was a crazy one for the Sabres, um, you know, aside from that. You know, with all those press conferences, the exit interviews, right? I don't think any other team had perhaps anything more eventful said at theirs than what was said by Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhart, Rasmus Ristolainen. We've gotten used to to him saying the stuff he did for the last three, four years. But Eichel and Reinhart, really the big news. Um, So there wasn't much news after the trade rumors, but people noticed that Sam Reinhart unfollowed the Sabres on Twitter took them out of his bio on Instagram, and then he refollowed them. So, you know, what do we think when all this stuff goes on? Because we've seen it with other NHL teams, other players. You know, Jordan mentioned that uh, Leafs prospect Andrew Nielsen unfollowed the Leafs and then followed the Anaheim Ducks back in 2017. So I'm going to pose this question. Let's go to Josh first. Uh, Do these actions actually indicate that any change could be coming, especially with a guy like Sam Reinhart? Uh, no. And, and I have a very simple reason for that. I think, especially in today's day and age and, and with the media landscape and the way it is, because we're, we're, everything is so digital, everyone is under a microscope out there and any sort of small slip up, big or large, I should say, 
is going to, you know, start a firestorm on social media. So on following your team, obviously it's not the sign that a lot of fans want to hear because they're like, everyone starts to panic and everyone's going to, and everyone starts freaking out, but really it could just be a player adjusting his social media. It, it really, that part doesn't scream the danger to me. What screams the danger to me is when they, they pinpoint the day or the time or whatever, when they unfollow the team and then they go on and play badly, or they go on and say things about the team that doesn't make any sense. And then they put them in a negative spotlight. That's when it gets really concerning, but for fans and, and media personnel and, and, you know, blog sites to speculate, you know, this person's unfollowed their own team on Instagram or on Twitter. That means they're going to get traded or that means they're going to sign somewhere else. I wouldn't read too much into it. I think there's a lot of stories like that out there. There's a lot of stuff that is that is said that can be picked up and misinterpreted a little bit. So in my opinion, if I saw, you know, one of my players do that or one of the players that I, I know do that, I really wouldn't look too much into it unless there's extenuating circumstances or external circumstances. So I think most of the time, and I think in, in Reinhardt's case, I think it's it's people trying to catch a story or, or trying to make a big deal out of things that, that aren't really a big deal. I remember like basket in basketball, Giannis unfolded practically his entire team and then ended up re-signing in Milwaukee. So yeah. that, that right there just speaks volumes to, to how minor these things are. Yeah. And let, let's go to Andrew now. And this actually makes me think of something. Didn't when Steven Stamkos's contract was up for extension, did, wasn't there a situation where he, um, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but liked a tweet about the potential of him being traded to Toronto. I think it was, wasn't that something? I was going to say that sounds like very familiar to the Stamco situation. I don't remember exactly what happened, but I do remember there was a lot of drama surrounding it. And obviously, as you can see now, it's still with the team. So that, like Josh said, it's, it's really just speculation and, and I wouldn't read too much into it either, honestly. Well, but I don't know. The Stamco one hurt. The oh, Stamco yeah. one really hurt, hurt us here in Toronto. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you don't see that. That was unheard of. You don't, you never saw that prior to what Stamco did. Like you'd, Everyone, everyone was freaking out about that. And even though I was just a kid, I mean, I, I remember looking and, and and seeing the possibility of him coming coming home, really, and then he didn't. So, you know, I wouldn't read too much into it. Like I said, it's not it's not a huge deal. But guys, Andrew Nielsen ended up getting traded after that, you know, so it must be true. <laughs> but uh, let's move on to our next piece of news here that surrounds all of our teams because – you know, the Jack Eichel was the Sabres nominee for the King Clancy Award, which is presented annually to the player who best exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and has made noteworthy humanitarian contributions in his community. So for Josh and Andrew, Blake Wheeler and Alex Kaloran were nominated for this award for the teams that you cover, respectively. So we're going to start with you, Josh. What are your thoughts on Blake Wheeler being nominated for this award? You know, there has been some controversy around him. We heard about... Uh, he even said himself, you know, he didn't like the way his and Patrick Laine's uh, relationship unfolded there towards the end. I'm curious to get your take on this, covering the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, I I think the King Clancy Award in general, although it's it's really good in principle, it's definitely one of the awards that fans really don't don't necessarily care about that much because they they don't really know what goes on behind the scenes for for a player to get nominated. But this is a really interesting one because although I don't disagree with Blake Wheeler as a player and there's probably a bunch of things that all Jets players have done in the community I think he shouldn't have been the nominee and that's simply because of the way this year has unfolded I mean you you look at how he's played and I know this has nothing to do with how he's played but the relationships in the locker room have a big impact on you know how players perform and and what level they are capable of performing at and that whole Patrick Laine saga was I mean, I'm not going to say unnecessary, but it was definitely dramatic. And I think there were a lot of things that a lot of people kept to themselves. And there's probably still a lot of stones left to be unturned about that whole situation. But I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. 
there playing hockey myself and, and being in the hockey community, there are rough relationships in the dressing room on any team on uh, with any team and with anybody uh, relationships can go sour relationship uh, arguments happen all the time. And in the case of this, it just sounded like Blake Wheeler. And I know Mark Shifley was a meant was named in, in a couple other articles as well concerning this Patrick line situation. It sounded like it was mainly out of frustration. And even though it's out of frustration, that can really strike a nerve with a lot of players. And you know, it, it doesn't, I don't blame Patrick line at all for if indeed that happened. It's a, again, it's just speculation at this point. Um, I don't blame Patrick line at all for, for wanting out of that toxic environment. So just based off of that, and just based off the fact that we don't get to hear, you know, I'm, this is not a scandal by any means because it happens everywhere, but just because we heard about this particular scenario, it doesn't really seem to make sense to me why he would be nominated because he, as the captain, it makes sense for him as a nomination, but just all the external factors here doesn't really do. They don't really add up. And to make matters worse, both him and Paul Maurice and ad, practically admitted to saying we did something, we did some things wrong. Mistakes were made. Things were said that were definitely not the nicest things that right there. You also don't see ever like after a, a player's got gotten traded, Pretty much all their teammates and all the faculty and all the management step up and, and really just just explain how nice of a guy he was and how great a teammate he was and how good of a player he was. You don't really see players admitting they were wrong and it basically admitting that they should have taken better care of him. So I think that's plenty of evidence to be like, why is he nominated for this award that specifically has to deal with interpersonal relationships and 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 humanitarian contributions that to me doesn't really make much sense now i don't know who would be a replacement i do think there are definitely some good characters on that winnipeg jets team but just because blake wheeler was put in the spotlight like like he was that doesn't seem to make much sense to me no i totally agree with you there and we saw it with the tampa bay lightning actually alex Kalorn, you know who isn't necessarily not one of their premier players or captain of the team but he's clearly beloved we all saw that video of them on the jet skis before the um before the quali- the playoffs last year in the bubble. And I'm just curious, Angie, what did you think of Alex Kaloran? Because he's a guy, you know, a lot of the time I remember there was speculation um, of trade rumors with him. You know, people thought he was overpaid for a long time. But he's a guy who can just go up and down the lineup. He's really just handled it very well. And he was a big part of that cup winning team. What do you think of Alex Kaloran being the Tampa Bay nominee for the Cl- King Clancy Award? Yeah, actually, I'm not surprised, um, especially since the, the jet skis, like you're saying, he kind of, um, turn the jet ski uh, thing into an Instagram series and um, they call it doc doc talk with killer. And um, he would um, ride around Tampa Bay and um, do uh, interviews with teammates and other people, uh, professional athletes for the most part. And he kind of turned that into um, a way to give back to the community. So he um, sells uh, merchandise from that series and it, uh, it benefits the Hillsborough County, the county Tampa's in, uh, their education foundation. So I'm really not surprised, especially from the community, community aspect. Um, he's, but he's also really stepped up his game on the ice. Um, I was definitely in the camp of uh, maybe Kalorn doesn't need to be in Tampa anymore. But um, after this season, um, he's really stepped up his leadership and he's contributing all over the ice. Um, especially defensively on the penalty kill and, and then getting um, forward and creating goal scoring opportunities. So I, I wasn't surprised. I guess it's kind of the opposite of the uh, um, Winnipeg Jets situation, but uh, yeah, I was very happy with the, um, the choice, but really a lot of the Tampa Bay players give back to the community and uh, like Stamkos definitely could have been um, up for the award, but this is 
um, Kalorn's second straight season. So maybe he'll get a nod this year. Who knows? Yeah, no, that's awesome. And like, you know, from my, mine and Jordan's perspective, you know, Jack Eichel was kind of similar to Blake Wheeler as a, as a nominee, just because one, he only played 21 games. There were, you know, the rumor mill was circulating around Jack Eichel all season and, and the King Clancy nomination, actually the announcement came after last week's exit interview. So it was just a real head scratcher for a lot of Sabres fans and a lot of, you know, if you want to go to the comments section of that and you'll see how people really feel about it or Maybe that's not how most people feel, but, uh, you know, still nonetheless, lots of interesting comments thrown around. And uh, last Sabres topic um, before we move on to some uh, Winnipeg and Tampa specific stuff. So the Sabres are looking for a head coach, Um, you know, obviously interim head coach Don Granato is near the top of the list, if not at the top, but they are talking to a lot of different people. Um, And, you know, John Butchergrass of ESPN said on Twitter that multiple sources have told him that they're talking out, uh, talking um, with Greg Carville of, UMass, so NCA, another NCA coach. Um, they were talking to the Providence coach as well. So some very, um, you know, top tier Division One American college hockey programs. Um, so maybe that's the direction they go. But uh, you know, that interests me because, you know, based on this, is this sort of the beginning of a new direction that we're going to see? Instead of just rotating the same thirty-one, soon to be thirty-two guys across all the different teams in the NHL and going with somebody like torts or god forbid mike babcock you know are you are you going to start to get a different pool of applicants here and start to get some new coaches uh jordan let's go to you first for this one i just gotta say i really hope so you know like there's a lot of guys that in european leagues specifically even like leagues like the swiss league that i think would really do well over in the north american game you know we saw i think ralph kruger might have left a poor taste in some mouths but you know he was a soccer coach before in between his edmonton and buffalo stints you know so i don't know if that's necessarily a fair comparison and you know it's not enough of a sample size you know you need to be giving new guys new chances you know like it's nice to go with experience and you know in my opinion the Sabres probably should just stay with Don Granado because they had a winning record under him and I don't think you need to change make more changes to your organization than needed but I think we need to start seeing more personnel in the NHL because you know it's just going to make it a better league more diverse yeah uh let's go to Andrew any thoughts on that yeah um I I think it'd be great to kind of diversify I feel like when a new coaching position comes up in the NHL, we kind of get the same names every year and it's kind of like, okay, yeah, like they're good, but maybe there's other people out there for um, that could take advantage of the opportunity. And like the one for me that comes to mind is um, Gruel, the coach of the Syracuse crunch. He's been phenomenal for uh, years um, within the lightning organization. And uh, I really think it's a, only a matter of time uh, before he gets the nod, but, um, I definitely could see the the league moving in that direction uh, in the near future. Yeah, Josh. Yeah, I agree with Jordan. I really hope so. And it would just it would just create so much new excitement, renewed excitement for for the sport overall, because that'll get some more excitement, obviously, for college hockey as well. And that's already on the up and up when it comes to excitement and intensity. So. My example, similar to Andrew's, was Sheldon Keefe when, when he was promoted from within. He didn't see the Leafs go out and get and get someone or hire someone from the outside. They promoted from within, which is a popular theme now. It's getting more and more popular, I should say, as as you know, new teams look for new head coaches. It it, it does make sense to promote from within the organization itself. And I'm with Jordan on this. I really hope uh, Don Granado stays the head coach of the Sabres because you know he he kind of saved them 
in in a sense. He he definitely saved them from more mediocrity, which is is nice. It's always nice for an organization <laughs> for a franchise. But to me, I think that would just work wonders for the game. Not only would it set a new precedent, hopefully, mm-hmm. for just new coaches in general, but it would just create a, a just a renewed sense of of refreshness around the league just to see new new faces behind each bench and yeah i i really like that idea um i think there's a lot of coaches out there european and north american that can greatly benefit from an nhl head coaching job or even an assistant coaching job so yeah i mean we see this across a bunch of other sports too i think the 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 time of recycling the same names over and over and over again are, are slowly coming to an end thank god yeah. Hey, no, well said everybody. Uh, you know, and with that, as we transition into some more team specific news for you guys, let's reset the show here. You're watching Saber Scoop presented by the hockey writers. So make sure to subscribe to and like the show on YouTube, follow and share on Facebook and catch all the great ho- hockey content at thehockeywriters.com and on our Twitter feed at Saber Scoop THW. Jordan, there's a lot to cover. Let's start in Tampa Bay. Why, why don't we? guys i think we talked enough about the king clancy award so let's just dive right into this and we're going to start with andrew and the tampa bay lightning and just just for anybody uh listening here we're recording this the florida panthers have won that game in overtime off a ryan lomberg goal so that is an interesting note here so florida cuts the series lead in half but i want to get into you on nikita kucherov obviously that's been the huge story around the whole national hockey league and we all know what happened the ltir situation that went on throughout this whole season. You know, he was skating for months beforehand. Was this blatant cap circumvention or should we just put that to rest? You know, because theoretically in the rule book, a situation like this technically is allowed. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, Andrew. Yeah, um, obviously it's been pretty much the major talking point for the Lightning as they came into the playoffs because obviously Kutrov came in uh, game one, had two goals and an assist. So he's obviously a, a big time player and making a big time impact. Um, I, I can definitely see both sides of, of the argument. Um, if I wasn't a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, I, I would probably be a little hurt that Kucherov was coming back. You know, he's a big player. Uh, it hurts everyone else's chances to win the cup potentially. Um, but on the other side of things, they, the Lightning, um, had a clear path for his um, return. They said right after the surgery what it, what the um, timeline was going to be. They were aiming towards the playoffs. Uh, they actually thought he was going to be back in June, and he came back sooner than they expected, which was great news for the team, obviously. Um, and they did it all without all well within the rule book. Um, so really, I, I would say it's time to put it to rest, and maybe it's it's just one of those. Uh, don't hate the player, hate the game type thing. And maybe the NHL has to adjust the rules. Yeah. You know, and, and what better timing for him to come back. Right. I mean, right in time for the playoffs, uh, you know, it almost looked like he didn't miss a beat, but you know, the Florida Panthers, me and Jordan were looking as we were prepping the show, we were like, man, if uh, Tampa is they're up three, five, three right now, you know, if they go up three, nothing, they could very well sweep the series. That's not what happened. Um, but, you know, the Florida Panthers is just showing that they are no pushover, um, you know, with the season that they had. So what has stood out to you most about the way that they've played and what kind of opponent they've been, what kind of tests they've been for, for the Lightning here so far? Um, I, I, I knew that, I mean, we've played them all season, so I've seen them, uh, you know, eight times uh, previously. But really their ability to bounce back, like even in this game, like you said, they were down 5-3. After every goal, it was just right back at it. They were um, skating um, 
great. They didn't get down on themselves and they got right back in the game. And it's really been like that the whole series. But also what has surprised me is their grit. Um, I think especially with players like Gudas that they added in the offseason, uh, they added uh, a lot of physicality and that gives them a really strong um, team for the playoffs um, to balance out the speed and creativity they have. Um, so those are just the two main things I've really uh, picked up on as the series has gone on. And I'm, I'm not really surprised to see them um, come back and play well today. You know, they're down to nothing. If they go down three, nothing, that's, that's not what they want to see. So they were desperate and they came out and got what they wanted. So. Well, you know, Andrew, you're talking about grit. One player on Florida showed a little bit too much grit there, and that was Sam Bennett. And, you know, that obviously that ended up warranting a one-game suspension. And I'm just curious, do you think this was fair discipline from NHL player safety on uh, this hit right here? Do you think Sam Bennett should have been suspended, or do you think he should have been suspended even longer, perhaps? What is your take on that? Uh, I think the one-game suspension was fair. Um, uh, the NHL uh, safety has been kind of uh, ticky-tacky this year. There's definitely been hits from Tampa players that I thought could have been punished, um, especially in, in that first game. Um, there was a lot of uh, hits after the play, um, some dirty hits, uh, a, a rivalry forming, uh, if you will. And um, I think it was fair. He came back in game three and he scored the first goal for Florida. So um, I think all is well and, and everyone's moving on from it. All right, one last question about Tampa before we go up to the Great White North and talk some Winnipeg Jets. Do you think Tampa will repeat as Stanley Cup champions based on the, the play this season and their play so far in the playoffs? Let's hear it. <laughs> so I, I mean, I am biased, but I would yeah. say yes, if they can stay healthy. Um, when Stamkos went down with an injury uh, sort of late in the season in April, uh, they just looked like a, a completely lost team. And uh, they they really just play better with uh, Stamkos on the ice. Obviously, with Kucherov back, that just adds a whole other dimension. Um, but with that leadership in the locker room and on the ice, I really think they can do it. They've got the experience, um, and they show that. Uh, even, again, in Game 3 today, they were down 2 nothing, and they uh, came right back and as if um, nothing had happened and scored five goals in the second period. So... They're explosive, and um, if they can shore up their defense a little bit, get Vassie some help, uh, they're definitely uh, in the realm for making the repeat happen. Okay. Yeah, totally. And, Josh, it's finally your turn, and we are going to talk Winnipeg versus Edmonton. I'm just curious to get your series prediction here. You know, Winnipeg was seen as more of an underdog heading into this basically probably more because so because of their poor play down the stretch there. But they took game one by a score of four to one, you know, and they – Connor McDavid didn't get a point in that game, which is pretty incredible and, uh, and just on its own. And uh, I'm just curious, do you think they're a better team than most fans are probably giving them credit for? They're definitely a better team than most fans are giving them credit for because when they're on their game and when they play the way that they're supposed to play, they're definitely a team to be reckoned with. What I will say, though, is that I, I, I know Jets fans are going to hate me for this, but I don't think they're winning the series still. I, I really it's a positive sign. I said that Connor Hellebuck was going to steal a game here or there in my series preview article where I said it was Oilers in six and he ended up doing that in game one. Now I didn't expect him to do it in game one based on how poorly the Jets have been playing the last couple of weeks, but it happened as we've seen. That's not sustainable. And that's not the Connor Hellebuck that we've seen over the course of this year. Yes. The playoffs are a different thing, but as we've seen over the course of the regular season, he's been one of the most inconsistent 
or not one of the most, I should say, but he's been rather inconsistent in comparison to previous years. So that is a major concern if you're Winnipeg because Connor Hellbuck, we all know this by now, is the backbone of that team. If he is not playing well, the Jets are not going to win that game. So he'll, he'll steal a game. The offense is probably going to steal another game. That's why I said Oilers in six. Another thing to keep in mind is that keeping Connor McDavid quiet for more than one game is literally impossible. Keeping him quiet for one game is hard enough. We've seen dozens of times he has bounced back in ways that are literally unimaginable. So keeping him quiet for one game is, as I said, incredibly challenging. Doing it for a prolonged period of time is flat out impossible. So the Jets, with the help of Connor Hellebuck, who will need to stand on his head for the rest of this series, clearly, because they were out heavily outshot in the end game one, keeping him keeping Connor McDavid contained, keeping Leon Dreisaitl contained is going to be, is going to continue to be priority one. And personally with the jets and their revolving door of defense, that's why I said, I don't think they'd be able to do it. I'm going to give them credit because I, I, I said that Connor Hellebuck was going to steal a game that ended up happening. I'm going to say flat out that they're probably going to win another game in here, but my prediction overall will not change until I see something consistent. And so far they haven't really shown me anything terribly sustainable. Yeah, you know, and, and they did this in game one. They held the Oilers to one goal without the help of Pierre-Luc Dubois and Nikolai Ehlers, two of their better forwards on the team. So with them out of the lineup, you know, and other players in, let's say hypothetically, if and when Dubois and Ehlers come back into the series, what players do you see being moved out and where are these players going to fit right back in? Well, I will say that Dubois and Ehlers are far and beyond more important than Dominic Toninato and, and Christian Veselin. So those are your two that are coming out right away. I mean, those that that's obvious right there. And and I think that's another thing that I have to give them credit for is that they managed to beat a red-hot goaltender and two of the best players in the world without two of their better forwards. Pierre-Luc Dubois, yes, been struggling as of late. Nick Ehlers, yes, was out with an injury, and we don't even know what his conditioning is like when he comes back. But still, those two players right there can be and are difference makers in a series. So the fact that they were able to steal game one on the road without those two is impressive enough as it is. Now, is that sustainable? Probably not. And that's why I keep going back to the theme of sustainability. It's not something that can be continued for the length of an entire series. And, you know, we have not seen Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl go quietly for an extended period of time ever before in their career. And I mean ever. So asking them to do that and asking the Jets defense, who is rather inexperienced in the postseason to do that continuously is going to be incredibly challenging, but that is their key to success. And I will continue to emphasize that as this series goes on. And as we learn more about the game, about the strategy behind the Jets defense. So if that is, if they can in fact implement some never before seen game plan where Connor McDavid is suddenly kept off the score sheet or at least limited production wise, then we will see a massive first round upset in this series. And we're going to see Edmonton go home early, like they did last year in the plan. And, and, you know, who knows what happens after that. But to me, I'm going to stick with the numbers on this. We've seen the Jets struggle mightily against the Oilers. And, you know, this might have just been a one-off, if you ask me. I mean, you don't get to see Connor Hellebuck standing on his head too, too often this te- season, unfortunately. But if that, in combination with them shutting down McDavid and Dreisaitl, like they did in Game 1, this series is going to be quite intriguing moving forward. It's already interesting enough as it is, but it's going to get even more interesting if, if Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl are kept off the score sheet again. Well, uh Josh, you mentioned it a little bit briefly there in your opening uh, sentences, but I'm curious if you really do think Connor Hellebuck is going to play at the level that we know he can. You know, you wrote in your latest article for the Hockey Writers previewing the series that he needs to be better as he had a 2-5 and five record over seven starts against Edmonton and only an 8-7-7 save percentage, you know. So I'm just curious, do you think it's going to be Vesna Trophy-worthy Connor Hellebuck, 8-7-7 Connor Hellebuck, or maybe somewhere in the middle? 
I really hope it's not as bad as 877 Connor <laughs> Hellebuck because that was a disaster over the regular season. But I don't think we'll see the Vesna like goalie that we're used to seeing. Now, that's no hate on Connor Hellebuck. This has been an incredibly challenging season for everybody. But asking a goalie to who was inconsistent over the course of the regular season and, and really, although it wasn't his fault that the Jets fell in the standings, it ended up happening. So asking him to suddenly flip a switch and turn on that Vesna mode that we were used to seeing is crazy and unreasonable to expect and ask that from a goalie so i don't think we're going to see it we saw it in game one which is why i'm a little more encouraged than while i was writing my series preview because i was looking at the season series matchups and all the underlying numbers all of them were practically disastrous for winnipeg and i would did not have too too much fun in uh, writing that article but if this could be a glimmer of hope i i am a full believer in that they ended the season on a really good note. Again, not taking away from the fact that they absolutely sucked the last two weeks, but they ended the season on a really good note. And that, that builds a lot of confidence heading into the playoffs. So, and then we saw in game one, we saw that confidence translate. It was practically two, one with two empty netters. So I, the score doesn't really reflect the, the game itself, but it is a promising sign for things to come. I think there is a big shift in, in Jets country when it comes to optimism, when it comes to this series. So I'm looking forward to what the rest of this series holds. And who knows, like I said previously, if Connor Hellebuck can play the way he normally does, and if Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl somehow miraculously stay limited or off the score sheet entirely, the Jets will easily take this series. Because again, as I've said before, the Oilers have absolutely no forward depth and it shows. Yeah, funny thing you mentioned depth because that's actually the last question um, as we wrap up the Jets section here and then go into some general NHL stories. But so, you know, you mentioned in your piece that one thing the Jets need to do is take advantage of the matchup game with the depth issues that the Oilers have. So, you know, how does Winnipeg's depth match up against Edmonton's? And is that going to be the X factor? Is is keeping McDavid off the score sheet going to be the X factor? What is it? Yeah, so there's a lot of things to unpack there. And for sure, outright i'm gonna say the jets third line is is one of the x factors behind their success in this in this series we saw in the regular season darnell nurse actually played more minutes matched up against mark shifley than any other player he's ever played against in the league during that season during that time the oilers outscored the jets 10 to 2 so with that out of the way i'm just gonna say if you're icing a line of andrew Cobb, adam lowry and mason appleton that is far and above one of the best third lines in the NHL right now on no question about it. So when you're going up against players like James Neal, who's a bit washed up and Devin Shore, who I really didn't know was still playing in the league up until this season, you have to take advantage of that matchup. And although the Oilers have one of the best defensemen, Darnell Nurse is enjoying a remarkable season matched up against their top guns. They need their secondary scoring to step up in a big way, especially running into a hot goalie, Mike Smith, who has somehow resurrected his career. I mentioned that in my article too. It's crazy how good this guy has been at the age that he's at. So knowing all that and knowing the matchup game and knowing Dave Tibbetts strategy, it is going to be on Winnipeg's depth to carry them through this series. And obviously they're going to get some support because you're not keeping Kyle Connor quiet for an entire seven game series. But we saw this in game one, Dominic Toninato somehow scored he he really i don't even think he got a goal in in the regular season and and tucker pullman another depth defenseman also scored you don't see that very often so we saw it in game one that is their that is not only one of their keys to success it is arguably their most important key to success aside from connor hellebuck's play which falls i think shortly behind because they're going to need some offense against mike smith and company over there so to answer your question 100 they have already arguably one of the best top nine forward groups in the league, and they need to use it effectively. All right. Yeah, totally. And with that, guys, let's head into our general NHL news. And we really do have to start with Toronto versus Montreal because it's Thursday night that we are recording this. And we all saw that John Tavares, you know, he falls to the ice. He took an incidental knee to the head from Corey Perry. 
he stretched off the ice, but he gives a thumbs up on the way out. We know that he's been transported to the hospital at this time. And, you know, it's really classy to see the Montreal Twitter account, you know, tweet out well wishes towards John Tavares. You know, you don't typically really see that after an incident like that. But, you know, that just shows how much, you know, serious this, ish, this hit really was. And uh, I'm just curious. Let's just get an initial thought on this, you know, because there's been tons of debate already sparked on Twitter. Should Nick Foligno have fought John Tavares after this fight? You know, I'm just curious to get your guys' initial opinion. You know, Josh, I know you're a super big Leafs fan like me. I'm curious, what do you think about this? Um, yes and no, and I, I'm going to explain why because I, I caught some heat on Twitter for saying for not reacting dramatically enough because people were upset. <laughs> oh my God, you should have been so outraged. It's crazy. You're biased. You're Leafs biased. Oh my God. People need to calm down. There are two things that people need to keep in mind here. Nick Foligno is following a code. And the code, as bad as it is, still exists in, in hockey. The code here is that once there's a massive injury or a massive hit, no matter if it was accidental or on purpose, you are answering the bell no matter what. That is That has been the code for years. Whether that code needs to change is an entirely different debate. So Nick Foligno is following the code that currently exists in today's modern-day NHL. That is fine. I don't see a problem with that because the code has been here for a long time. The precedent has been here for a long time. And really, there's been no effort to change it over the past few years. Now, switching topics to why people are outraged. I think a lot of people need to direct their anger to the league and player personnel overall. They need to change that code. That code is wrong. We saw Nick Foligno probably should not have fought him if there was a different code. That is, that is common knowledge by now. So by people not being upset at Nick Foligno for fighting Corey Perry, that is fine. I don't really see a problem with that because it's the code that needs to change, not the players who follow the code because the players who follow it are really just in line and and really just following the precedent that's already been set and established by generations before them. That needs to change because obviously times are changed and obviously fans are outraged right now. You look on social media right now, they're, I think Tavares was trending on Twitter and Felino was right behind him. So knowing that, knowing what we know now and knowing the reactions that, that incidents like that get, 100% the code needs to change, but I really don't blame the players for following that code. I really don't. That's totally. And Brandon, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on the matter, if you generally agree with what Josh is saying. Generally, yeah, you know, and, and my initial thought was, like, when I watched the video and, and I saw some people saying Corey Perry was at fault, I was like, well, that's truly seeing a guy who's a victim of his reputation, right? Because Corey Perry is known for being um, I don't know if dirty is the right word, you know, but doing exactly what Josh said, you know, he's gritty. He gets in the other team's face. He plays a lot of pranks, uh, you know, over the years as a member of the ducks. And now, you know, with, you know, with the teams that he's played for in the last few years. And, um, I don't know. It was not Corey Perry's fault. Obviously. I think it's very obvious to me. Incidental contact un was super unfortunate that Tavares's head was there. Um, but, you know, I think Corey Perry knew it was coming, like, and that just speaks to what Josh said, like, Corey Perry knew that somebody, you know, he was gonna have to face somebody for that just because of the way that it ended up, Tavares being stretchered off the ice, and Nick Foligno, um, I've seen some very mixed opinions on it, I, I, you know, I'll wait until the dust settles to, you know, gather all the facts and see how I feel, but, you know, watching the Leafs and the, um, and the Habs, I really have no horse in the race, so I don't have too many mixed emotions, but, We'll see. Um, Andrew, I'm, I'm curious, you know, kind of like um, being down, you know, in Florida as a, you know, covering Tampa, like watching this Leafs Hab series, you know, do you feel the same emotions? Do you, you know, what are your thoughts on that? 
Um, I, I was excited. I think everyone was pretty excited to see um, the Habs and the Leafs go at it. Um, I've been waiting for so long to see um, then them duke it out in the playoffs. And then uh, for this incident to happen on in the first game, you know, it, it, I was kind of sad. Um, obviously, but we get to watch the replay. So I was going to actually bounce the question back at, at you guys. Uh, do you think the players feel differently being on the ice and seeing it happen live? They don't necessarily get to see the replay. Like we get to watch it on Twitter and, and slow it down. And we can see that really Corey Perry probably couldn't have gotten out, out of the way. And like you said, he probably knew he was going to face a consequence for that. Um, do you think the, the players um, are, are feeling the same way we feel? Or do you think, they saw it as oh a dirty hit it happened you know in the matter of a uh, split second and and that's what they go off of you bring up a really good point uh the play happened really fast i think a lot of even fans themselves didn't really realize the impact that it had until they watched the replay so i can't even imagine what the players are going like being so concentrated on the game but what i will say is that that is a very valid point and that honestly might be the rationale that nick felino had maybe maybe not who knows point is the code needs to be abolished that's already established but that is a really interesting take and i think a lot of fans need to consider that that is part of the part of the equation here is that players don't have or aren't privy to the replays immediately now they have you know all the screens and all the tablets on the bench and stuff like that but that still doesn't generate the same amount of impact if you're watching it from your couch or watching it from your living room so i think that's a really important take i really think that needs to be considered in the discussion moving forward whether the code needs to be changed or whatever but you know, I think a lot of the fans were really quick to react there just because emotions were so high and that people were like, you know, this is really stupid. Don't do this to me. I think everyone, like Brendan said, I think a lot of people need to just settle down and consider all the opinions and facts about the situation before they start screaming at each other on Twitter. But then again, I mean, hockey is hockey. That that <laughs> happens every day. I just have one general take too, just to throw out there. It's slightly different than your guys, you know, I think generally, you know, obviously the code needs to be abolished. You know, we don't need to see unnecessary fights and the player potentially breaking their hands and stuff like that. But look at the emotion, you know, emotional response to players on the bench. You know, Austin Matthews was clearly stunned. You know, one of his good friends on the team, you know, to witness something like that, you know, us as fans really cringed, you know, like that was one of the most awful things really just to see in a hockey game, you know. What Nick Felina, in my opinion, was trying to do there was to just to try to like, you know, get these players somewhat back into a hockey game state, you know, I don't necessarily think he probably himself doesn't even think Corey Perry necessarily did that on purpose, but I think he did that, you know, just to try his best to get his team, you know, the team that he just came to, you know, he needed to try to get them back into a state of mind to finish off this game and, you know, the play for John and uh, just doing that, you know, I think kind of says a lot to the type of player he is. You know, he was literally the captain of the team that beat them in the playing round last year. I think he was just trying to make an impact. You know, I don't think as much as there was a code, you know, aspect to it, I do think there was a few other reasons behind it for Nick Felina's intentions to fighting Corey Perry there. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree. I mean, did he pick a bad time to fight somebody? I mean, there's always a bad time to fight somebody. No, there's really no good time to drop the gloves with somebody. So I think that also needs to be considered. And just judging from the reaction on, on Twitter that I saw that nothing was considered really. It was all about the code. It was nothing external outside of that. You know, it, it, like I said before, it's really easy to talk about something when you're not involved in the heat of the moment. So seeing that on unfold the way we did, obviously it's a horrific situation going down in Toronto right now, but just looking at it from a third um, unbiased third party standpoint, 
you can be mad at Nick Foligno, you can be mad at the code, you can be mad at, at any anything related to that. But I think what the biggest takeaway that I saw was that everything needs to be considered. People can't just be jumpy to conclusions here and there just because. And that's a really important point. That that that's that's really the truth. Yeah, for sure. Well, nice thoughts, everybody. Um, and sort of last thing as we wrap up the episode here, um, there are plenty of other playoff series going on right now. Uh, so let's you know run through just where the series stand between the two teams in each matchup and maybe give a few notes if you feel like you have any. Um, so we have Colorado up 2-0 on the Blues right now. Obviously, blues. Colorado... Nah, blues not no, not even that's that's a shoe in for Colorado. That that's oh, yeah. ridiculous. Totally. It, yeah, it's it's unfair. And I think the the point differential in that division was absolutely insane between the Wild or the Avalanche who finished third or something like that. St. Louis didn't even look like a playoff team to to begin with. So facing off against a powerhouse and one of the Stanley Cup contenders, the serious Stanley Cup contenders, that's that's unfair. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, it was almost Arizona over St. Louis too. It was it was this close down to the wire. I would have liked to see Arizona there. Right. Yeah. Um, and elsewhere we have the Canes up to nothing on the Preds. Um, and then we have Boston up to two to one on Washington. That's they, such a confusing series to me. That Boston one is, is crazy because Washington was so much better in the regular season. And now, now that's happened. I mean, yes, Vitek Vanacek, sorry, man, getting yelled at by Ovi is not fun by it for anybody, but like that was embarrassing. I saw that goal. That was, that was brutal. Well, buff, former Buffalo Sabre Taylor Hall is really thriving, eh? Just as I uh, sure. suspected before the trade deadline, you know, on that second line with David Krejci, you know, their five-on-five five scoring is just complete. They're going to be a team. That, yeah, nobody you know, saw that one coming, eh? Nobody, yeah, nobody, nobody saw yeah. that totally coming nobody. at all. Nobody at all. That's why you only get a second-round pick for him, right? Don't forget Anders Bjork. He was the X yeah, factor in that trade. And we like him here, too. I, I actually hear rumors that the Sabres wanted Bjork more than the Bruins wanted Hall. I think I, I, I think heard, I heard that. I, think somewhere. I have heard that actually. I believe. Yeah. Well. Well. Let's see. Let's see if that pans out the way they'd like it to. We got Vegas tied one-one with the Minnesota Wild. Wild have been my most exciting team to watch this season. Oh, yeah. I want to give a quick stance. Minnesota's actually winning three nothing over Vegas in the first period at this moment. Okay, so yeah, by the time our listeners, I am here, I am cheering so hard for Minnesota. They've been stuck in the middle of the road. That franchise has been stuck in the middle of the road for God knows how long. Always a perennial playoff team, but never good enough to make it past the second round. So to see them finding success and to see the, see them having like a bona fide superstar or a superstar in the making in this case with Kirill Kaprizov and, 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 you know, Kevin Fiala, who I've really loved since his Nashville days, that's an exciting team to me. That's a great, that's a great story. Just overall to see the personnel, to see all the players who have stuck it, stuck it out for as long as they have to finally see the success that they're having. Great story. And then final uh, one here to touch on the Pittsburgh Penguins just won tonight um, as we speak on Long Island. So they're up 2-1 on the Isles. Um, and that's, you know, that's another good series too. So any parting thoughts on any of those series? I know we sort of interjected a little bit there, but. Um, you yeah, know, just on that last one, Mike Smith is not the only veteran that's rejuvenating his career right now because Jeff Carter is looking like. The, like oh, he's been amazing. He's been an amazing addition for that team. And I, I really didn't see that coming because I thought he was really just done. I thought he was going to retire in a couple of years. He probably will, but seeing him score as many goals is just laughable at this point. I, I can't contain it. I, I it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. These, these headlines that have emerged across this crazy season, Mike Smith, another one, like I said, 39 years old and what he was a, a strong serious Vesna candidate at some points in the year. So it's been crazy. 
And I imagine telling Leafs fans last year that Kasperi Kapanen and Jeff Carter would be on the same line and it would be the second line on the Pittsburgh Penguins just a season later. It's just crazy to me. Do you have any last thoughts, Andrew, by the way? Just uh, curious. I don't want to get your voice left out there. No, I, I, I agree with all of that. It, it's, it's, it's been a great postseason uh, and really a, a great season overall. Uh, I think uh, I kind of feel bad for Vegas because I feel like everyone's kind of rooting for the Wild. I, I definitely am. I think they're the, the, the upset to watch in this first round. And, and just to throw it back to the Central Division, I, I could see the, the Hurricanes sweeping the Predators, much like the Blues are probably going to get swept. Uh, it's, it's kind of a similar um, talent disparity there. Which is one of the downsides to the divisions and, and how they shaped up. I mean, there's just a big gap in talent in some of these matchups. And some of the series are super exciting and, and others are, are not, not that exciting. Yeah, totally. And I, know, and I know on some of these North Division that matchups, you know, the fan element there is definitely missed. We saw that with Edmonton, uh, Winnipeg yesterday. I think all the storylines in this Toronto-Montreal game are probably uh, not really um, revolving around the fan aspect at that moment. But, you know, we got a great time here, guys. You know, a year ago today, we weren't we were thinking about, oh, when would the NHL even be restarting back up? And it ended up being months later, you know. So let's just enjoy it as it is, you know. Things are starting to look bright, brighter in the world again. And with that, we can wrap up the show. So we thank you for joining us. And this has been Saber Scoop presented by the Hockey Raiders. Make sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube, follow and share it on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at SaberScoopTHW. And a big thank you to Josh and Andrew for joining the show today. You know, it was great to talk about some teams that are actually playing meaningful games right now. <laughs> and it's always fun to get another team's perspective. And once again, make sure you head over to morningskate.io to sign up for our daily morning skate newsletter. So you don't miss the latest and weirdest hockey news every day. So then don't miss out on all the great hockey content as well at the hockeywriters.com. For Brandon, Josh, and Andrew, this is Jordan, and this has been Saber Scoop. Until next time.